Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast on Ringer FC. I'm Rusuk Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? Doing all right, man. Thanks. How are you? You're in a polka dot season. I've got a polka dot t-shirt on. Good times, good times. Yeah, I'm all, uh, I'm stripey today. Feeling good. You are stripey. Stripes and spots over here. Absolutely, absolutely. It's weird for this podcast, dressing for the kind of, it's too cold to wear a t-shirt, but it's too warm to wear a hoodie. So this is the compromise. Oh, the struggle is real. Halfway house is real. Listen, these these are the real problems, the very real problems, legitimate concerns of this studio podcast. <laughs> uh, before we get into the actual podcast, we need to do some admin. We need to do loads of admin, actually. So bear with me. For those of you listening on the studio feed, remember you only get the first section of the podcast to listen to the thing in full. You need to subscribe to the Ringer FC Spotify feed. The link will be in the description. Second of all. For those of you new to Stadio, during lockdown, we did a thing called the Stadio Sessions, which was a Friday night music session live streamed where we would play music and interludes of football commentary. We did just a random one first and we did an 80s special, which was just 80s music and commentary of like 80s commentary. We did a Brazil one, we did an Africa one, we did a guitar music one. We haven't done one for two months, but we're doing one this Friday. So it's 8 p.m., till 10 p.m. Berlin time, which is 2 till 4 Eastern time. So I'm sure people can figure that out. We live stream it on mixlr.com forward slash Stadio. And you can also go to the show reel there and they'll have all the past episodes. If you go to the Stadio Twitter at Stadio, we posted the info and a link to the old ones. So come and join us for that. The only other bit of admin that we need to do is that there's some people doing refurb stuff on Moose's building. Oh. They're four. They're like four stories above you, right? They're four floors. I thought they were outside because it sounds so close. I look up, <laughs> I nearly get like <laughs> a ton of plaster in my eye because yeah, they're weight. They're four floors up. They couldn't even hear me if I shouted to them. So if you do hear the occasional bit of banging in the background, apologies. If you do hear banging in the background, let's improvise here, Ryan. It's actually like the Berlin industrial noise scene on location. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say this before I get? You're probably going to cut this out, but. When I was in Rio for the World Cup, we were doing a documentary, a radio documentary. And anyone, any listeners of ours in Rio will know it's an absolute nightmare making audio there because there's nothing silent for more than five or 10 minutes. That's such a humble brag. <laughs> Speaking of audio, did I ever tell you that time that I had to go to Rio for the World Cup and we were doing an audio documentary and it was so difficult? Because there's so much money. Oh my God. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It sounds like you had a terrible time. Have you not been to Rio, Ryan? Can you stop? <laughs> you know this answer. <laughs> Trolling in plain sight. We've got a lot of football to get through today, but the way that we thought we'd do it is via a mailbag. Yep. So we kind of let people shape the shame the narrative Oof. power to the people oh my god that's because that always works <laughs> <laughs> we trust you all we trust you all and yeah everyone came in with some brilliant questions but before we do start quickly the mls is back that is literally the name of the tournament which is quite possibly the worst name for a tournament i've ever heard since the milk cup <laughs> in england <laughs> Actually, that was a great. The milk cup was an amazing. The milk cup was an amazing name. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Carabao Cup is 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 tough. So that's the League Cup, obviously in England. What was it? Some old sponsors of that Coca Cola Cup. That was good when it was the Coca Cola Cup. My favorite ever name for an English Cup tournament was the Zenith Data Systems. <laughs> Do you remember that? The Zenith Data Systems <laughs> <laughs> Trophy or Cup. 
Now that sounds like a Berlin industrial band. It does. That, that's actually an incredible name. Zenith Data yeah, Systems. It's incredible. We have this, uh, this kind of art house industrial collective called the Zenith Data Systems. That's so cool. <laughs> so yeah, the MLS is back. It was the first game, well, this morning for us. I think it kicked off at 2 a.m. Florida Derby in Florida. Mm. What a way to start it. Orlando beat into Miami 2-1 after being 1-0 down. And there was a nasty moment in this game where Dom Dwyer caught Andres Reyes in the throat with an elbow, with like a straight elbow. Reyes had to go off. It looked really bad. He couldn't breathe properly and he looked in quite a lot of distress. The weird thing about this was that it took forever to get proper medical people on the pitch. Now, this tournament, I think, probably shouldn't even be going ahead personally. Mm. It's been a bit of a mess in terms of its execution and playing it in Florida. It's a little bit different to a nine-team, well, eight-team NWSL Challenge Cup returning in Utah because it's a far more controlled environment. Right. But having, what, 20-odd teams. Yeah, 25-team tournament because obviously Dallas dropped out because of the amount of positive tests. I'd be interested to see how it plays out. There are things like the general public can book hotels in places that are right next to the bubble. The concern is, do you know what we're seeing, to be honest, Ryan? We're seeing the profit motive run up against public health in a way. Like this pandemic has obviously shown us many things, Mm. but one thing it's really shown is how cynically the profit motive is put up against public health. And I, I don't mean like, I don't mean like, situations where clubs have to play to survive. Like I get Mm. that. I'm not trying to be naive or I get that, but there are some cases where you feel like, especially when you've got like, like new franchises playing, like Mm. some, some of these franchises, you know, they're new. Some of these teams are new. So you wonder like if a team hasn't even started economic outlay yet, doesn't need to be out there. And I hate to be cynical, but I just don't feel like the health of the players and the public is the primary concern here in a lot of mm. these cases. So yeah, let, we, can, we can get back into that, but I think it's worth flagging up. People in the States were looking to the Bundesliga or Europe as an example. However, it's key to point out that like Europe was ahead of the States in terms of progress. Yeah. And also the conditions are massively different. Like when the Bundesliga came back, you and I did an episode about it. We were really on the fence, weren't we? Yeah, And I actually wrote a piece for The Ringer about this called The Bundesliga's Back in Body but Not in Spirit because a major part of what makes the Bundesliga so special is the fans and they weren't there. The conditions for the Bundesliga's return were hugely different to major sports in the US. I mean, I think Florida has had more cases as a state alone than Germany has as an entire country. And it's continuing to have far higher daily cases. You know, I mean, for comparison in Germany now, the last few days have been 219 daily cases, 397 and 390. So those are the numbers in the last three days. Nationwide. Nationwide, um, that's unbelievable. And the amount of total deaths in Germany have only just crept over 9,000. They're 9,115. Even with those numbers, we were really on the fence about its return. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you're bringing this, and this is because people are traveling and stuff like this. Now, the bubble scenario is obviously different. You can try and control things. However, the amount of personnel involved in a 25-team tournament, we still were questioning whether the NWSL Challenge Cup should have gone ahead. And we were swaying to the side of, yeah, maybe, because you're dealing with what ended up being an eight-team tournament. I really wonder whether the MLS here have missed a trick by 
playing it in Florida, especially in the middle of the summer. I just don't really can understand. I, can, I, can I be harsh here? Can I be cynical? Mm. With other sports not playing, this is a real opportunity to grab market share. Oh yeah, well that's exactly and what that's, it is. That's, yeah. and, and so it's just this thing of like, looking at other viewing figures for other sports, looking at other countries with completely different healthcare contexts who have, in quotes, taken the leap and just thinking, my God, like someone's run the numbers and thought, my God, if we get out there right now, the numbers we've had will overwhelm anything we've had before. And I think that's where we're, that's where we're looking with this. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to labour the point, you know, but I think that that's where I stand on it. Ultimately, there are a load of athletes at the middle of this and you're seeing with this with the NBA, 22 team tournament in Florida, in Disney. Yeah, I mean, we're huge NBA fans and I would love to see the NBA back. However, there are a load of athletes at the centre of this, like risking their own health. Yeah. You know, there have been a number of dropouts, like Carlos Velo is probably the, the most high profile dropout in the MLS. Um, there have been a number of players dropping out in the NBA, and rightly so, like Victor Oladipo dropped out. You know, I'm a Pacers fan. He's our best player. And he's dropped out. And no one can really hate on him for it because it's kind of like, well, I mean, I don't think I'd leave my family to go and play in a tournament that, I don't know, whether you're going to win it or not. It's just, it's weird, man. I mean, it, luckily it's not a, not a decision that you and I will have to make. There's a weird thing there involved in like, you know, kind of our desperation for sports to come back and actually the fact that all of these athletes are human beings. And if we were in that scenario, would we be happy with that decision? Absolutely, so, absolutely. But let's go to the NWSL Challenge Trophy. Since we last spoke, Utah Royals lost to OL Reign and Sky Blue FC beat Houston Dash 2-0. Everyone's a catfish in this tournament, Musa. You got <laughs> apart from the courage. No, apart from the courage. Apart from the courage. The courage <laughs> are way out in front on nine points, and then there are one, two, three, four, five teams on four points, and then Portland Thorns on two, and Chicago Red Stars at the bottom on one. Everyone's played three games. Maybe it's just a good tournament. Yeah, that's true. Catfish doesn't necessarily mean a negative. That tournament takes a little bit of a break till the twelfth. Um, but we had a question on this from I hope I pronounced this right, Liam Shemesh on Twitter. So what do you guys think as the hierarchy in women's football? The entire US women's national team plays stateside to get selected anyway, but having watched the WSL in particular over the last couple of seasons, there appear to be teams playing at higher, more technical levels. This is quite interesting because the US women's national team obviously is the best international team in the world, but their contracts state, you know, if they are federation players that they have to play in the, in the NWSL which is quite restrictive. Mm. Um, but obviously I think that's because they're trying to grow that league. I mean, I think obviously Leon are probably, well, Leon are the greatest club side in the world. I don't think that's a massive hot take. Yeah, that's, that, that's, it is what it is. And it was quite interesting. There was a thing that Megan Rapino said not too long ago where she was saying, you know, how the NWSL needs to attract players of this kind of ilk. And she named four players from Leon. So the, the first four players that she names, you know, Jennifer Marajan, Eugenie Lasoma, Wendy Renard, Lucy Bronze, all play for Lyon. Well, now Lucy Bronze is returning to Manchester City after the Champions League, but still. Right. I'm not entirely sure how the hierarchy would be, if I'm being honest. You tend to have two or three teams that are quite dominant. The range between the best sides and the bottom sides in the league, I think, is quite big in Europe because there isn't obviously drafts or salary caps or anything like that. What I would say, I think, I feel like I'm always worried in comparisons, but I do feel like it's reductive. I feel like it is really reductive to only recruit from one league for your national team, because I think there's things you learn from other countries and other contexts that are useful. I mean, look at Japan, for example, look how Japan sucker punched 
the entire yeah. world because people didn't see anticipate that threat. If you spend your entire time playing against sides that are robust and physical, you can handle a Germany, a Norway, but there was no solution for Japan. I remember them coming through that tournament um, when they won that time in 2011. I remember them coming through and it was so interesting watching them round after round outfox people. And it's funny, we, look, we talk about paradigm shifts in copycat culture and football. The paradigm shift in 2011 was everyone was like doing the big physical thing because that had been effective, especially for teams going outside their national context, going to other continents and winning. Go and impose yourself physically. And Japan went under the radar. And I think they, was it Germany? I think they might have been one of the early rounds. They took the lead and then didn't give the ball away. And no one had a hack for that. And if, you're, if you've got players in multiple national contexts, if you've got them all over the world, then you can anticipate. And one thing we've seen with the World Cup, whether it's the men's game, the women's game, any sort of genre of football, the best teams are the ones that make adjustments. They adapt to threats. They can play big, they can play small, they can play on the counter, they can play possession football. And yeah, I just think, I think the, I hate to quote Bain again, but the danger with the US national women's team is victory can defeat you. We've seen victory defeat. We saw what happened to France actually in the, in the World Cup. You, know, you could argue mm. that Lyon's success at club level maybe made the French national side lose a touch of sharpness. I did see a yeah. touch. Does that make, and I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just saying I'm a personal believer that to keep winning at international level, you've got to keep your players all over the world. That's what I would say. I think the next collective bargaining agreement is up in 2021. And I do wonder whether that will change. I think because of the dispute that's going on between the US women's national side and US soccer, I do wonder whether they may be less inclined to have that in the collective bargaining agreement that they have to sign contracts within NWSL. But yeah, we'll see. To be honest, I'd love to see another league emerge as a major threat. I'd love somewhere like Spain to pop out as, a, as one where we saw a better alignment of men and women's teams. I, just because I, I really love it when a different league enters the equation and changes the dynamic. I just think it's really healthy for football as a whole if someone else becomes a powerhouse. So yeah, anyway, that's all I've got to say. On yeah, that. definitely. Yeah. I mean, we've, we mentioned this about Germany. You know, I think Germany, I think the Frauen Bundesliga could really grow over the next few years, especially with, you know, the emergence of FFC becoming Eintracht, Hertha partnering up with Turbina. Wolfsburg strengthening, Bayern strengthening, Hoffenheim progressing this year. Interesting, man. Elsewhere in Europe this week, well, arguably the greatest 35 minutes of football this season. Oh my God, that's a strong shout. AC Milan beating Juventus 4-2 at San Siro. What was going on? <laughs> this game was hype. And the good thing was, you could have just scrapped the first half because I was watching Arsenal-Leicester, which... We all know what happened there. Yep. Poor Eddie. Eddie and Ketia and Ansu Fati doing very similar things this, this week, both getting sent off merely seconds after coming on the field. I can see why Nketiah's was given. Fatty. I can see why both. Yeah, me, me too, me too. Yeah, one of those, really unlucky, not deliberate, probably both reds. Yeah, I get it. Retweet and move on. Exactly. <laughs> Control all to Just retweet and move on, lads. Exactly. Um, but this game uh, at San Siro was amazing. Juventus surrendering a two-goal lead for the first time since 2013 My in God. the league. Adrian Rabio with his first goal for Juve. And this had big, like, 
You can see a 14 year old playing against a load of nine year olds in the playground or something like that. Right, right, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if you watch that goal again, it looks like he's running downhill. It's really fun. It's like watching, um, I mean, I'm a bit old for this, but some mothers do have him, Frank Spencer. There's a scene where. Wow, the main, really? You go in there. Yeah. You go in there. There's a scene where the main character goes down a staircase on roller skates and watching Rabio run at that speed, he's almost like teetering forward. And it's funny because someone was like, oh yeah, he nutmegs that guy, that guy. And I'm like, yeah, but it's almost like, it's like dodgems. And I mean, the thing is that that's why Rabio was signed. I know he's had a, a difficult time at Juventus, not the best time, but Juventus's depth is just ridiculous. And it's one of my frustrations with this league, actually, I've got to say, because if Juventus didn't have that much money, Serie A would be one of the most thrilling leagues. And this is the buy-in mm-hmm. thing as well. If Juventus didn't have quite so much money, the fact they can afford to keep a guy like Rabiot on the bench for as long as they have, and they have had to because he hasn't been at his best. But my God, Serie A has got some... I mean, the job that Pioli has done at um, Milan, there's a great, great article by Nicky, Mad- Nicky Bandini at The Guardian. Check that out. The job that Pioli has done They've now beaten Lazio and Juventus Milan in the last two games that destroyed Lazio 3-0. Mm. Well, on the counter, but still destroyed them 3-0. And this game, just to get back to this, I mean, it had everything. I mean, so Juve come from, well, Juve basically lose. They lose 4-2. Milan come from behind. There's a moment of trash talk between Ibrahimovic oh, yeah. and, Ronaldo and Ronaldo and Cristiano. Yeah, I mean, so before Ibrahimovic's penalty, there's some trash talk where Cristiano says to Chesney, you know him, you know what he does, basically. Ibrahimovic puts it in the corner, turns around and just gives him the eyes. Which it gives him a big, big smile, actually. It was quite funny. The question we had was from Proper Football Man on Twitter, Jack. He said, thoughts on Milan's hot run of form under Pioli coinciding with their announcement of Ralph Rangnick replacing him next season. So they've announced Ralph is taking charge. This has been rumoured for a while. Yeah. Ex-sporting director and manager of RB Leipzig, before that Hoffenheim. But Pioli signed a two-year contract in October when he arrived. So uh, I imagine that's probably till the end of next season, but they're going to have to pay him out. I feel so sorry for him. This is the first time Milan have looked interesting in a long time. They've won four and drawn one of their last five games. It's the way they've been playing. Look, Matteo Bonetti said this really well in ESPN. It's the first time they've looked vaguely interesting in 10 years. Rangnick might bring structure and that's really exciting in terms of recruitment perspective and there's indications he wants to coach. And maybe we're just being, what's the word? Um, maybe we're being starry-eyed because it's nice to see Milan returning to some semblance of themselves. But Nikki put it really well in her piece. She was like, is more instability really what this club needs at this point? Like, just when they seem to be assuming something. Now, having said that, I think that Rangnick's track record at Hoffenheim and Leipzig, I think, should allow him the benefit of the doubt. I just think with someone like him, you have a clear history of someone that takes resources, puts in structures. I mean, look at Hoffenheim, like long after he's gone, look at Leipzig after he's gone. Those bear his hallmark. And I do think this is what Milan needs. I do think they need a big change. When I saw who's being appointed, I was just like, this is really exciting. And here's the thing as well. Juventus also kind of beat themselves. Like, 
I don't want to be, and I don't diminish Milan's victory. I do think, and I have seen this the Juventus a couple of times this season, they've been so far out in front for so long that there's almost a boredom in that play. Does that make sense? Oh, you saw it with Alexandro. Like, this game isn't interesting enough. We're only 3-2 down. I'm just going to smack it across my own 18-yard box straight to whoever. It's just, what? That's like, what are you doing, Alex? It's teams that get tired of, they get tired of winning. They lose a touch of sharpness and Milan have been good enough to exploit those gaps. I hope that place Mm. is found for Pioli. I hope there's room for him in a coaching capacity still. But I think the Rangnick thing is, I I can't lie, I'm kind of excited by it. Yeah. It's one of those like, shame for Pioli, also kind of exciting. It's like Poch coming in at Southampton. That's how I see it. Yeah, good shout actually. Oh, that's that's a nice comparison. God, remember those heady days (laughs) of, what was it, 2013? (laughs) Oh Oh my God. I wish we could go back to 2013. Good Lord. We could, we could. Before any of this shit. Let's take a break. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I don't know about you, but everyone here at Ringer FC is feeling pretty excited about having MLS action back in our lives. I'll be honest though, the MLS action we're really excited about is on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. FanDuel Sportsbook has odds for just about any bet you can imagine on the MLS and all the top flight international leagues, as well as some leagues that you didn't even know existed. And with FanDuel Sportsbook, you can even watch live streams of La Liga and countless matches from all over the world right on the app. Once the action is over, FanDuel doesn't make you jump through hoops to withdraw your winnings. They get you your cash in as little as 24 hours. And it's one thing to say you're America's number one sportsbook app, but FanDuel is actually putting their money where their mouth is. Right now, you can place your first bet risk-free and get up to $500 back in site credit if you don't win. To claim your risk-free bet, just download FanDuel Sportsbook and be sure to sign up with promo code RINGERFC. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code RINGERFC. 21 plus and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Indiana, or Colorado. First online real money wager only. Refunds issued non-withdrawable site credit that expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in West Virginia. Visit www.1800gambler.net. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Or in Colorado, call 1-800-522-4700. All right, we're back from the break. And we had numerous questions about Kai Havertz going to Chelsea. From John Hunter, how will Havertz fare in the Premier League alongside Werner, Ziyech and Pulisic? Rohit Malhotra said, ready for Chelsea to be the chief slash warriors of football. So will the inclusion of Kai Havertz to Chelsea paper the cracks enough to ignore their defensive needs for one more year? Given the talent coming into Chelsea, how much of a regression should we see for Christian Pulisic? But yeah, so what do you think? Taking finance out of it. Yeah. What do you think the fit's like? For cat for habits. And for Chelsea. Okay, so Havertz is good enough to be the centre of any attack anywhere. You could play Havertz as a nine, actually. You could play him as an orthodox nine because look, the beauty of what Giroud does for Chelsea and when they've looked most effective is the link play. Havertz can do that. So Havertz basically at Chelsea, I think, is an excellent fit as an orthodox nine or a false nine. 
and he may have to adapt to that role. I think there are too many cooks at Chelsea. That's my fear. I don't think they need all of those attackers. I don't they need, they should, they would have been better off, I think, investing in someone like Paws, Dennis Zakaria, or Borussia. I mentioned Gladbach as a defensive midfielder. I think he's outstanding. If you look at the fluidity of the team that Gladbach have built, you could take him straight from Gladbach and put him in the Chelsea system and he would have basically a kind of more mobile, you'd have a more mobile version of what Jorginho is there for, someone who's more elusive. I think that Chelsea need, with that, with that attacking midfield configuration, Chelsea need a mobile defensive midfielder, maybe two that are primarily defensive minded. Um, they're going to concede a, quite a few goals next year, I think. But I don't think they're all going to be happy. I think they have too many attackers. I don't know why. I hate to be harsh, but I think Zuziek, Werner were kind of bought at the same kind of time. And then Havertz, uh, going after Havertz, maybe they're pursuing him as an orthodox nine. Maybe that's what this is about. I don't know. I don't think they are. I don't, well, in that case, Ryan, I don't get it. That makes sense. I don't, I don't like it at all from a fit yeah, point I, I don't, of view. And I don't, I don't, and I don't like it as, and I don't like it as a move for Kai either. Me neither. I think he can make it work, but I don't like it. The last thing Kai Havertz needs right now, I think, is to go to a side where he may not start every game. Because as we've seen with someone like Jadon Sancho going from Manchester City to Borussia Dortmund and working his way through there and becoming a regular starter, the development for his game has been, you compare it to Phil Foden. Right, yep. You know, similar ages, similar positions. Yeah. Similar, different similar talent. Similar talent. Yeah, similar talents. Yeah. Like Jaden Sancho is miles ahead in his development than Phil Foden, I think. And we're, we're massive Phil Foden fans. Yeah. I think if you look at Timo Werner, he made a move at about a similar age to Kai. I think he might have even been a, a younger when he went to Leipzig from Stuttgart. But within the same league to not Bayern, you know, a club that was in the Champions League. This is where it gets a bit tricky for Leverkusen, Havertz and his development. Yeah. Because I think he could really do with Champions League football to progress. But that's the thing for me, which is a real... That's the thing that's going to really hurt Leverkusen not getting in the Champions League this year, I think. Yeah. But then where else does he go in the Bundesliga apart from Bayern? Nowhere. I'm not going to lie. I'm I'm, so, I'm really sorry, Chelsea fans, because he's an, he's an amazing player. I honestly think he's a potential future Ballon d'Or winner. Even though he can play as a nine, that is not his best position. Right, agreed. And also, I think Chelsea, in a system point of view, I don't really th- see where he would fit, personally. If you're bringing in Werner, you already have Tammy Abraham, who's obviously hit a sticky run of form after his opening blast of the season. You still have Olivier Giroud. You then have Ziyech, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Christian Pulisic. I mean, Pedro and William are off. Mm. And then in the deeper midfield roles, you have Kovacic, Kante, Jorginho. It's like constantly adding toppings to a cake that's got no base. There's just no point. Brilliant. It's just like, yeah. it's going to, it's like, yeah, yeah it, it'll probably look really pretty, but... Chelsea's, Chelsea's midfield recruitment has a stress fracture running right through the middle of it, the same way that Man City's defence had it. It is a terrible, terrible stress fracture and it will be exposed because teams will get a good look at that. You have it in basketball, don't you? Like when they go, we've had a good look at their offence yeah. and then we break you down. And they've had, a good look, they've had a good look at Tammy Abraham, what he can offer. That's why he's now struggling because defenders are smart. 
And now he has to find new tools. And I look at that Chelsea midfield and it feels one pace because Ruben Loftus-Cheek has not really developed. Barkley gives the ball away too much to be relied upon. Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't even mention those two so, as yeah, backups. Yeah, but, but, you know, but, but Loftus-Cheek has not been developed. And yeah. Ross Barkley is, you know, his positional sense is not the best. Um, there's a lot of chances in that, not chances as in opportunists, but risk takers. There's a lot of high risk, high reward in Chelsea's midfield and there isn't enough match control and that will affect things higher up the pitch. If Chelsea were going to spend that kind of money, they could address things further back and go after someone like, if you're going to keep, you're going to take more players from the Bundesliga, spend the money that they would allocate to Harvest, probably spend a lot less of it and go after someone like Dio Ubermacano and really shore up the back. I think he'd be, he'd be a great fit. Like, you know, um, they would even, if they're going to go play after people at Leverkusen, they need a defender and they could even have a look at Jonathan Tarr, who has played with Rudiger at national level. I would, I still think Uber Meccano is a better defender. Well, he is a better defender. He's the best, I think he's the best centre-back in the in the Bundesliga. Yeah. He has been. Fair shout, fair shout. Yeah. So yeah, Harvards is amazing. This is one of those things where we're huge fans of Kai Harvards. He's an amazing footballer. I just think Leverkusen is probably all things considered, I think is the best place for him for another season. He's only just turned 21. So I don't know. There's, there's, there's a lot of noise around this transfer. Conversations I think are definitely happening, but I honestly think the best place for him is Leverkusen right now. I would agree with that. I would agree. Uh, let's move on to another question. One from Spencer. He's asked this question a couple of times before. <laughs> Not deliberately, but we haven't answered it yet. Um, he said, sorry for the repeat question. Don't worry, it's our fault. If football was to be played with no in-person fans going forward, how would that affect the machismo, showmanship and ego of the players and how would it affect celebrations too? I mean, I think there's quite a short answer here, basically similarly to how it's been. I don't think, I don't know if you've noticed it, but I don't, there's been less noticeable play acting, time wasting. Mm, I've got a counterpoint like, to that. Sorry, I've got go a big counterpoint. There's a viral video many of you will have seen of a young boy playing on um, in a children's playground and there's no one around, there's no one watching and he makes the merest contact with the trampoline and he then dives and rolls as if he's been hit. <laughs> so it's amazing. It's got like 2 million views. And what I deduce from that is the learned behaviour of play acting and diving, even in the absence of a crowd, will exist long after the absence of crowds. I think it will take a very long time for machismo to leave. Yeah. The male, I mean, machismo, the male, yes. Yeah, the machismo, just, yes. Yeah. But I mean, the showmanship and kind of play acting <laughs> seems to be a little bit less because it's so, it's so, it's almost like, you know, um, when you watch movies and for example, they're really trying to highlight a moment that's happening. You know, a prime example, like Star Wars, when Kylo Ren and Rey have that like connection thing. And even if they're in the middle of a battle or something, everything around them will just stop. Yeah, That's kind of what it feels like that when players dive. It's almost just like noise, 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 noise. And then just like, boom. And it's just them on the floor being like, ow, <laughs> ow. And it's so, it's so kind of just there, laid bare. It's just like, you're all right, really. It's like the green screen, isn't it? It's the green screen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it is, yeah. And this That's is a really good point, actually. And the thing I think with the the play acting is just another tool to gain advantage. You know, it's like why Diego Costa probably hated the VAR coming along because he couldn't do all his skullduggery. But there's other ways to gain advantage 
without the backdrop of the gallery. Um, mm. And yeah, I, th- I think it's, w- what's been really great has been, as I've watched games without sound, you get used to it quite quickly, actually. And also, like I said, the intensity of some of the contests. You look at the Barca mm. Atleti game, that was, in terms of intensity, absolutely thrilling. Yeah. And I don't, I don't feel like it lost, I'm, I'm sure the game would have been better with a, with a more of a crowd, don't get me wrong, but I was pleasantly surprised by just how good it still was. And yeah, clean definitely. it still was, yeah, yeah. All right, while we're on the subject of La Liga, I just want to give a shout out to Santiago Cazola Gonzalez. Oh my, wow. Who continues to impress and also has now added a delicious beard to the equation. <laughs> just when you thought Santi couldn't be any more lovable, he then goes bearded Santi, gives him extra superpowers. Um, there's some wild stat. I think the only people who have had more goals and assists in La Liga this season are Suarez, Messi and Benzema. So I told you, man, Barca could do with him for a year. They could, absolutely. Well, anyone could, frankly. Hey, as long as he doesn't go to Chelsea. Oh my God. I'm right. That's pure horror. Heartbreak me once by a small Spanish midfielder. Shame on you. That would be a curse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shame on you. <laughs> Shame on me. If it's twice, if it's shame on you, yeah. Being an Arsenal fan in general and constantly getting your heart broken by men you've never met, shame on me. <laughs> <laughs> I told, I told, did I tell you this? When uh, I think it was when Pep went to... No, it was when Tuchel went to PSG uh, and there was a line of managers who, you know, it was Klopp to Liverpool, Pep to Manchester City, Tuchel to PSG. And I literally turned to a friend and said, I'm sick of having my heart broken by men I've never met. <laughs> That is, that is so deep. That is yeah, so it deep. is. It is, man. It is. Villarreal won three one against Getafe. Uh, I just want to give you a little quiz question. Musa Okwonga, for five imaginary points, how old is Jose Bordales? Thirty seven. Thirty seven. Yeah. You think Getafe coach Jose Bordales is thirty seven? Yeah. Why not? Well, he's fifty six. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why I said that? I was like, let me say a silly number. Let me say a silly number because I love old coaches, but I would give a young number. On the opposite bench, Javier Callea doing an amazing job at Villarreal since he came back, by the way. Displaying big Ryder Cup energy. (laughs) (laughs) With the Navy polo tucked into the the chinos. That's not quite fair because you could argue that every single Spanish coach has Ryder Cup energy. No, 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 they don't because he has the navy polo shirt tucked into <laughs> the cream chinos. I was like, I kind of expected Javier Caella to start lining up a putt. It was absolutely <laughs> wild. Which brings us, it's almost like I'm getting the hang of this podcast game, Musa, because it brings us seamlessly onto our next question from Olufizeo. What's your favourite bit of minutiae about football? The most trivial, boring thing you absolutely love. He said his is tracking player hairstyles. That's definitely yours. That's definitely yours. Player hairstyles? Yeah. No, no, no. no, no, no. Yours, is, um, no, no, no. yours is managerial outfits, isn't it? Yeah. Managerial outfits. Yep. Touchline get up of managers fascinates me. That's your mastermind. Where this isn't a visual format here, but, and this may or may not be true. Yeah. But next to me, I have a wall. Does anyone, everyone knows the always sunny in Philadelphia meme, right? Yeah. Managerial, sartorial evidence wall. <laughs> I mean, I haven't got one, but you know what? I'm thinking about it. Direct correlation between managers' performance. It fascinates me. It fascinates me. My favourite Klopp era, for example, was 
2013 Dortmund. I even have favourite years for managerial touchline get-ups. What the hell is that about? 2013 Klopp, he was so intriguing. You know, full kit Klopp, full club shop Klopp on the touchline for Dortmund in the league and cup. And then when he went to Europe and they played in the Champions League, he had the, I think we spoke about this before, he, had the, he was wearing suits. Well, he was wearing a shirt and tie with a jacket, but he would always have like the tie kind of undone a little bit, keep that scruffy scruffy cool math teacher vibe you should write an essay for this about the you should write, write you know do you, do you know what it's so important Ryan I don't want to plug but I'm going to plug yeah. when the Bundesliga came back I wrote a thread it's actually my pinned tweet on Twitter yeah. at Ryan Hun like assessing the managerial touchline get up in the league position that they were when they returned it really fascinates me and the Bundesliga is an amazing example for it but can I just throw this in it is you do realise that it's actually really important oh for sure like when I used it I think I told this before when I teach at schools and when I lecture, mm. so when I lecture university students and I teach in schools, I spend quite a long time working out exactly what I'm going to wear. Mm. Like when, I, when, I, when I dress to teach kids, I basically try to dress like friendly, approachable, but ultimately stern uncle. Yeah. When you're a manager on a touchline, you're channeling so many things and you're projecting so many things to player and fan base. That is absolutely it. These, these are the minutiae that matter. Mm. You know, does that make sense? Oh, 100%. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of people talking about tactical shifts in the Premier League at the moment, but no one is talking about the glaringly obvious sartorial shift that is taking place. Absolutely. I mean, I don't know where it's going to end, Musa. Look at Alan Pardy wearing that suit and doing that dance. And the problem with wearing a suit is a straight suit. There's nowhere else to go. Like when Klopp, when Klopp wore, the th- the, wore the club shop stuff and then went to a suit, it's an upgrade for an emotional fan base. You're basically saying, you know what? Bundesliga, but it got real tonight. Like wearing a suit mm. means it's got real. So like hush down class, listen. This is that whole energy. Look, I really, this is your topic. I think you really need to get a written piece on this. I think it's Maybe, so maybe, yeah, so maybe. Let's do it. I mean, maybe we can, maybe we could do a podcast on it. Yeah, we can, but I think you need to write it too because I think it needs to be codified somewhere. This is yeah. actually anyway, the thing. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's, that's my, the other thing is, uh, Black football boots. <laughs> oh my God. I love Anyone who wears love- black football boots now, I'm just like, yep, you're in the gang. God, it's sunny. I Unless they've it. done something super questionable, by the way. So. I love that you've mentioned that. Um, I don't know if I have, if it was anything for me, it would have been centre forward clothing. What's what the number nine specifically would wear. So you had George Ware with one white wristband. You had the three quarter length sleeve rolled back. You had the collar up. Batistuta obviously had that for a bit. Mm. Um, you have the socks over the knee Henri style you have the socks over the shin pads it's more like an Aguero type energy you've got the shirt out like a Luca Tony type roving player yeah I think it's centre forward get up because there's this thing what are you trying to channel are you trying to channel a kind of the elegant elusive ballerina which is the Van Basten thing which is light on your feet or are you trying to channel the kind of get amongst it garters I always veered towards the Henri thing because I liked the idea. When Henri wore the socks over the knees, it was almost like you were saying, I challenge you to get these dirty. Like, I challenge you to get close enough to actually touch any of this. There was a great moment in the Star Wars movies where you've got that one Jedi with a really, really, really long neck. And you look at that and think, yeah, like, if you're going to have a really long neck as a Jedi in a universe where the primary form of attack weapon is a lightsaber, 
Yeah, you're going to come correct. Exactly. And that to me, the long neck was equivalent of Henri wearing the socks over the knees. You're basically saying yeah. you're daring someone to kick you. And I, what I love about strikers is, and I, you know, obviously used to play as a striker. It was about daring the opposition to kick you. He also wore his shirt tucked in. Yeah, I love all that. Listen, I loved all of that. The shirt tucked mm. in, like everything correct, everything firm, everything fitted. It's basically the closest thing you could imagine. Henri, basically Thierry Henry was the closest thing to a footballer wearing a three-piece suit on the field of play. This is why I think Ricky Pooch is so dangerous because as a young player coming into that Barcelona starting 11, you don't wear your shirt tucked in unless you are legit good. The business. Yeah, and you know you are. Do you know, I love this. You know what it is? Tucked in shirt, polo neck under the shirt, like on a cold night, of course. Polo neck mm. under the shirt on a cold night. Well, yeah, any, any chance for you to get some kind of roll neck action in there? I just think it's the one though. It's the one. Yeah. So for me, I would say for me, the special subject is centre forward, centre forward clothing. Mm. Uh, all right, let's get out of here then. We hope everyone's staying safe and well wherever you are. And we're playing out this week on Blue Rhythm Combo, Take the Funky Feeling. Don't forget, join us on Friday, Stadio Sessions. Hope you have a good weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Musa is about to make us all feel very creepy. Go on, Musa, take us out. No, I was just going to say, as Jerry would say, take care of yourselves and each other. (laughs) Because it helps to grow the podcast. (laughs) Take care, everyone. See ya.